Sons of Liberty, an interactive activity. Join us on a journey back in time. Come with us to a time of hard scrabble frontier, of taxes just and unjust, and a growing sense of stateside discontent. Travel with us, sons and daughters of liberty, back to 1765. The decisions you make will directly affect the future of your friendships, your livelihood, and our family. Our journey takes us to New York City in the colony of New York in the wake of the Stamp Act. It is 1765. You are a merchant, an importer of, with a small business in Manhattan. You sit on a coffee house with your business partner, Douglas Shea, on a warm August evening. Shea is furious. Blast that King George, Shea screams, pounding the table. His face is red with anger. Does he think we are made of money? You stare into your coffee. You're angry too, but you're also worried. You and Shea ship molasses from the West Indies. The British have begun to tax the molasses, and your business is in jeopardy. Oh, how you and your friends hate British taxes. You don't mind paying your fair share, but this is ridiculous. Soon, you'll need to put a tax stamp on every bill you pay. Even a deck of playing cards will need a British tax stamp. They will squeeze us to death with these taxes, you groan. Every day you hear more talk about rebellion. We ought to just shoulder up some muskets and throw the British out, Shay says. I will not risk my livelihood, you say. A bloody rebellion would harm us, not help. It's not right, Shay yells. It's not right that England should rule us. They are too far away. They know nothing of our problems. A group of merchants gather around you, listening to Shay as his voice continues to rise. The British just know how to tax us, he screams. Taxes, taxes, and still more taxes. Hear, hear, yells the small group of merchants. Away with the British. If they don't willingly go willingly, says the neighborhood blacksmith, we ought to toss them out to the sea. Listen, Shay says to the group. There's a group of brave youth called the Sons of Liberty. They will teach those British a lesson they will soon forget. They need fighters, he continues. They need people to pass out propaganda leaflets and brochures and spread the word of independence. But that's a rebellion, you say. That is treason toward the king. Need I remind you that we are British subjects in his service? Service? Shea scoffs. His rule is tyranny. Let's join the Sons of Liberty and burn our tax stamps in the middle of Wall Street. Choices. If you decide to help the Sons of Liberty, go to page two. If you decide not to help the Sons of Liberty, go to page three. You decide to help the Sons of Liberty. You decide to attend a local meeting of the Sons of Liberty. It's in a dark back room of the Franz's Tavern on Pearl Street. A man is making a fierce and angry speech. We shall teach Colonel Colden a lesson, shouts Isaac Sears, a local shipmaster and Sons of Liberty organizer. Aye, we shall indeed, another man yells in agreement. 
the hair on the back of your neck stands up. This is it. You are making a faithful choice. If you join the Sons of Liberty, you become a traitor to England. England is where you were born. England is and has always been your homeland. You've always been loyal to England. Today you stand on the edge of treason. Are you with me? cries Sears. He's staring directly at you. Your friends and neighbors' eyes are upon you. I am with you, you shout. A group of merchants clap you on the back. Always knew you had the courage, Shea says. Knew it all along. You are soon part of an angry mob. You're, you march toward Colonel Colden's house, you, who's been warned and flees on a British warship. The coward, yells Sears. He shall not escape our wrath. Led by a shouting, screaming Sears, you reach Colden's coach house. You hack his horse carriage into kindling. You force the British officers there to burn the sheets of stamps. You have mixed feelings. You want to teach Britain a, lit a lesson, but is this violence necessary? It is a new and unlawful activity for you as you smash the belongings of another person. You feel like a criminal. Isaac Sears jumps atop a smashed carriage. Let's go to Chambers Street. There's another British officer there. He has bragged that he will shove the stamp act down our throats. I'd like to see him try it. You don't want any more destruction. You just want to go home. But do you dare leave and be branded a coward? Choices. If you want to go with the others, go to page four. If you want to go home, go to page five. You decide not to help the Sons of Liberty. You cannot see why all of this can't be settled peacefully. When the British see how angry the colonists are, they will surely repeal the taxes. I will not stand against England, you declare. She is our mother country. I am no traitor. <laughs> cries Shay. You stand against your friends and neighbors and all they hold dear. You must sell your half of the business as Shay will no longer work with you. You start a new business but you have lost many customers. You also are quickly losing friends. It seems that everyone is taking sides. Either you're for the Sons of Liberty or you're for England and a traitor to the Patriots' cause. It's impossible to remain friends if you're not on the same side. You meet an old friend, Josiah Boiling, for dinner. He also wants to remain loyal to England. I want no part of this rebel chaos, Bowling says. They are nothing but vandals and petty criminals. Our troubles with England will soon pass, and they will be disgraced. I am sure you are right, you tell your friend. Beneficial times will return to the colonies. To King George, Bowling says, and he raises his glass. To the king, you counter, and your goblets clink. A second later, your window glass shatters. Someone has thrown a rock through your window. The sons of liberty, Bowling says. Those fools, they know our loyalties. My friend, you walk to that window. Low criminals, you yell. A mob has formed on your lawn. Get off my property. Go back to England, you filthy Tory. It's Douglas Shea, your old business partner. We'll burn your house down if you don't leave. You are now frightened. The angry mob includes many former friends, many former 
formerly friendly neighbors. Perhaps you should go to England until this blows over. Choices. If you go to England, go to page 6. If you stay, go to page 7. You decide to go on with the others. You don't want to be called a coward. Besides, these sons of liberty may be right. Maybe the taxes will be lowered. You near the house of the British officer. He has run away. Someone has warned him that an angry mob was coming. Isaac Sears laughs. Let's see how the British gentleman lives, he shouts. You smash down the front door. Soon the sounds of splintering wood and cracking glass surround you. One of the companions knocks down a grandfather clock. Seeing the vandalism pains you. Well, what do we have with this fine china? asks Sears. The way they tax us, we can't afford such china, Shea hollers as he smashes cups and plates with his extinguished torch. You think your mother's treasured china sitting in the cabinet in England, and you shudder. You hope these efforts do some good. You smash a beautiful ladder-back chair. Some of your companions are drinking liquor they found. The mob grows even rowdier as they soon go to the garden and begin pulling up the shrubs. They tear books apart and throw the loose pages and empty covers into the street. You are sickened by the ugliness of the scene. If only the British had been responsible or reasonable in their taxation policies. Perhaps the events of this night will make them take notice. But the troubles only grow worse. In 1770, a snowball fight escalates into a deadly act. As five civilians lie dead in the streets of Boston, you know now that war will come. The colonies must fight England for their independence. You will join the fight. You have chosen to risk your life and everything you own for American independence. Go back to page one and choose a different path. You decide to go home. You slip away in the darkness. You cannot smash another home. The poor devil who owns it has nothing to do with you personally, and your parents did not raise a vandal. In the morning, Shay taunts you. Don't have the stomach for what needs to be done, do you? I refuse to believe, you counter, that smashing a man's home will bring good to our cause. Our cause? Shay asks. You were afraid last night, scared to stand with the Sons of Liberty. Lies! You yell, foul lies. Come with us tonight then, Shea implores. We'll teach another tax hound the same lesson. No, you mutter. Soon your partnership dissolves. You move to Boston to make a fresh start. You just want peace and quiet and an opportunity to live your life without judgment. For a few years, it looks like there may be peace. The British relax the taxes, and you think that they may have finally seen the light. In March of 1770, you're walking near the Customs House on King Street in Boston when you see a lonely sentry crack a boy in the head with the butt of his rifle. You turn to see a crowd of young people. They are throwing snowballs and yelling insults at the British guard. Other British soldiers come on the run. In the crowd is a tall, articulate African-American standing about six foot two. You see carpenters and sailors, washerwomen and tailors. 
The British soldiers fire, and the square is engulfed in thick smoke. The black man falls. Crispus Attucks lays dead, someone shouts. Four other protests fall to the ground, mortally wounded. Samuel Adams and the Sons of Liberty call this the British, sorry, the British Massacre. Everybody is angry. War will surely break out, and you must fight for American independence. You hoped for peace, but war has come to your town. You quickly join the local regiment of Massachusetts. You have chosen to risk your life and everything you own for the American independence. Go back and choose another path. You decide to go to England. Sadly, you sell your property and holdings in the colonies and set sail for England. You feel bitter, but your family will be safe and peaceful. Within a few years, wars break out with the colonies. Your oldest son is in the British Army and is sent to the colonies to fight. He has risen to the rank of Major General and is deployed at Bunker Hill. He and a thousand other British troops, many of them officers, die in the Battle of Bunker Hill. You are gripped with sorrow that will follow you to your grave. Was it the son of an old friend who killed your boy? Did your son kill any of your old friends and neighbors? You've never felt such sadness as you recall happier days in the colonies. How could it come? How could it have come to this? You cannot make a new life in England, and you eventually return to the States. You visit your son's grave, then head west to establish a farm. The farm is a success, and you once again feel part of the American land. You only wish your son could have enjoyed it too. Your life has for been forever changed due to the revolution. Go back and choose a different path. You decide to stay. You will not be run from this land. Just because you are loyal to England, you will not be chased across the Atlantic Ocean. You just won't commit treason. As the bitterness against England grows, you find it harder to live in your city. Mob attacks your house. When war breaks out, they stone your carriage when you go to church. You do your best to keep out of trouble. A rumor begins to spread that you are a British spy. Some colonial soldiers are ambushed and your neighbors blame you. A mob surrounds your house. Come out, Tory spy, they demand. You get your family out the back door. You leap onto a waiting horse to escape, but the mob blocks your passage. They drag you from your steed. I'm no spy, you shout. You are a Tory, the leader of the mob cries. You stand with the tyrant King George. You are stripped of your clothes and hogtied. You are plunged into a barrel of hot molasses, which covers you, even your hair. The mob then rolls you in a heap of chicken feathers. You are a sticky, mortified mess. They load you into a wagon and take you into town. Everyone in town comes outside and to laugh at the procession. You finally shake free and clean yourself up, though the scent of molasses stays with you for weeks, a bitter reminder of your humiliation. You flee with your family to Kentucky, where you hide out in the wilderness living off the land. After the war, you move to Philadelphia. 
You start a new business, a large hardware store, and make a good living. Everyone is too busy building the new country to discover your personal history. You are glad that the U.S. won its independence, even if you are on the other side. You are mostly just happy to see that you are all Americans again. Your life has been forever changed due to the revolution. Go back and start a new path. Non-colonists in the American Revolution From the point of view of some Europeans, the American Revolution pitted the ideals of the Enlightenment, republicanism, and democracy against Europe's established order. As exemplified by Britain, some countries found that watching wasn't enough, so they joined the fight. One of these countries was France. Without France, a very important ally of America in the Revolutionary War, the Americans might not have defeated the British Army. The French supported the Americans for a number of reasons. A weakened England could only heighten France's status and influence both in Western Europe and around the world as various countries competed to establish comp colonies. Some French might have been seeking payback. Only 12 years before the American Revolution, France was at war with Britain in the Seven Years' War, and they lost. This resulted in France being forced to give North America territories to Britain. Five months after the Declaration of Independence was signed, Benjamin Franklin traveled to Paris. He hoped to explain the revolutionary cause to the French and enlist their support. Franklin was already popular in France for his writings and scientific discoveries, and he was able to secure French support. At first, France supported the Americans only in secret. Gunpowder, ammunition, weapons, and money were smuggled into the country, hidden in commercial ships. Military strategists crossed the Atlantic to advise Continental Army military commanders. In February 1778, France officially recognized the United States following the Battle of Saratoga, in which the Continental Army decisively defeated the British Army and gave the resurgence of hope to the Americans' fight for independence. And the countries signed in an alliance. French soldiers fought alongside Americans. French and British fleets clashed from Rhode Island down to Georgia. In addition to manpower, France contributed money and weapons. For helping the American cause, France spent the equivalent of what would be about $13 billion in the U.S. today. Spain also supported the Americans. First, like France, the Spanish contribution consisted of money and weapons. But in 1779, Spain joined France with military support. Also, like France, the Spanish Navy played an important role in combating the formidable British fleet. Land and sea battles were sometimes fought far from the North American continent in the Mediterranean and West Africa. But French, Spanish, American, and British armies were not only ar the only armies fighting in the American Revolution. A quarter of all soldiers under the British flag were actually from the area known as Germany today. 30,000 hired men in all. 
These soldiers were known as Hessians because many of them were from the independent principality of Hesse Cassel. Native Americans also fought in the American Revolution. Most considered the United States to be a threat to their territory, so they fought on the British side. In total, approximately 13,000 Native Americans fought for the British. But other Native Americans fought against them. The revolution was, for some Native Americans, a controversial and divisive matter. For instance, the Iroquois Confederacy, also known as the Six Nations, was a powerful organization of tribes that tried to stay neutral, but pressed to choose a side. The Confederacy could reach no agreement. It split up, and the two tribes pledging their allegiance to the Americans and four to the British. Not only did foreign nations and groups join the revolution, but foreign individuals did too. Frederick Wilhelm von Steuben of Prussia served as Inspector General and Major General of the Continental Army. He, won on, he went on to serve George Washington's or serve on as George Washington's chief of staff. He wrote the Revolutionary War Drill Manual, which was the official American drill manual for the next 40 years. Other notable figures were two men from Poland, Tadeusz Kozusko and Kazimir Pulaski. Tadeusz Kozusko was born in Poland, moved to France, sailed to America, and rose to rank of brigadier general. His countryman, Kazimir Pulaski, has been called the father of the American cavalry. Pulaski organized and trained the Continental Army's horsemen, which had been used mostly for scouting. Pulaski was also promoted to general, but was killed in the war. Pulaski and Kuskoyo joined the Americans out of idealism. They believed in the struggle of freedom and self-governance. As Pulaski wrote to George Washington after his arrival in Massachusetts, I came here where freedom is being defended to serve it and to live or die for it. <laughs>